Welcome to the Drivable Podcast, where we discuss all things about driving and safer community transport for people with disabilities and medical conditions. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on our social. Just look up Drive-Able Podcast. We have a lot of content and interviews now. Uh, we've got heaps of stuff. Go back and listen to our old stuff. We get a lot of great feedback on the interviews with um, the, the basically the end users and the clients um, and even the technical stuff uh, from the OT. So get out there. There's gold um, in all of it. Look it up. We're on all your typical channels, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, all of that. Um, so get on there and just search on Google. You'll find us. Brad. Yeah. Yeah, and if you want to uh, follow some of the show notes, make sure you go to the Facebook page because uh, that's where we're going to save all of those little bits and pieces. So check us out on the Facebook page, Drive Able, Drive Able Podcast, if you want to see photos, if you want to see links and those type of things because that's the best place to share it. But you said there's gold. This one here is going to be excellent. This time we're talking to Alex. Alex is... Um, utilizing his car for a unique employment opportunity um, as a result of his injuries uh, he's got a spinal cord injury and he's got vehicle modifications and he is using his modified vehicle for employment and we're going to unpack that with him and i just can't wait to get this interview underway i'm really excited what about you ellie yeah, really excited because he's also got some uh, really cool products in his car as well. So, um, so he, really excited to unpack that as well. Yeah, let's get him on board. Let's do it. Driving is something many take for granted. But when someone has altered ability, then driving or getting out and about in your own car can be challenging. Driving with a disability doesn't mean you have to drive an old clapped out car with farm-like machinery and relying on a wheelchair doesn't mean waiting for hours and then being in the back of a maxi access cab getting car sick. The Drivable podcast is designed to introduce and explore driving aids for people with disabilities, vehicle modifications, the NDIS, research, medical guidelines, driving techniques and much, much more. The Drivable Podcast is to help you be informed and be in control of your own independence so you can experience freedom through driving safely and reliably. I'm Ali and with me is Brad and together we have over 30 years of experience in disability and driving. Enough of the intros, let's get into it. All right, let's kick this off. We've got Alex with us. Thanks very much for joining us, Alex. Alex, the first question that we ask uh, people when they come onto the podcast is to introduce themselves and let us know a little bit about your disability. Yeah, so my name's Alex. Uh, I have a C6, C7 spinal cord injury. Um, I acquired that in 2019 in January, uh, diving into a river. Uh, all the swimming lessons lessons come to you very quickly then. And uh, uh, yeah, so from there, straight to uh, Royal Adelaide Hospital, flown in. Uh, time in Hampstead rehab as well. Uh, yeah, so uh, no feeling for anything, but just a complete injury. So no feeling beneath anything beneath my sort of chest level. Yeah. So for people that want to know, C six is up in your neck. C six, C seven is yeah, up in so, your neck. Yeah, so the six vertebrae down from where it comes yeah. to And and what does how does that impact your arms and legs? Uh so yeah, legs. Yeah, included in the nothing beneath the chest level. Mm -hmm. uh, my arms were sort of fine the whole way through. I'm sort of lucky with that. Uh, I just have some, I've got some movement in my hands, but there is, um, um, you yeah, know, struggle with strength in my fingers and that sort of thing. So, yeah, coordination is um, a bit of a tricky yeah, thing as well. Yeah, I do have, so it's, um, yeah, very little fine motor sort of with my fingers. Um, I can sort of grab some things, I can pick the phone up and that sort of stuff, but. Um, you know, carrying heavy things, I can't pick anything up. So, yeah, and you've got uh, good elbow and and shoulder control. Yeah, yeah, that was um, yeah, it never really seemed to be a problem. My wrist, all the way down to my wrists and yep. fine. even my wrists have good flex and those um, sort of strength enough and that. So, uh, literally, just yeah, just my hand caught the front of the last bit there. Um, yeah, my arms are fine. There is a bit of um sensation feeling that I can't feel on the underside of my arm, um, but the motor is all still there. Yeah, right. How did it actually happen? Did you sort of dive head first or something or? 
yeah, yeah, just head first. Uh, woke up at about, well, so we're on a camping trip. Um, woke up at about 7.30 in the morning and decided, I'm going to go for a swim. And, uh, first one in the water, I was the first one to hit was under it. So, uh, was it, yeah. Was anybody else up? Yeah, yeah, there was a few people up already. Uh, okay. So, it must have been... Of, it was January, it was the middle of summer, it was hot anyway, everyone was so sort of keen to get out of their tent, so... Um, yeah, no, there's plenty of people up and around. So, so did you did you um, become unconscious? No, I was conscious the whole way through. Um, wow. Even, even and what was the, the so you recall the whole thing? Uh, I mean, I record. Yeah, I can recall the whole thing, everything that happened. Um, so I was laying on my back in the shallow water, so there was no trouble of drowning at all. I came it's, to, ac- uh, it's actually interesting. I mean. Um, because the most people that I, we've spoken to here tend not to recall the, 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 the sort of the main part of the injury when it happens and so on. Um, so the fact that you've, I guess, got those pictures or experiences in your mind, um, is it something that makes it, do you think, easier or harder to deal with? Uh, I it's pretty easy. I know exactly what happened, how it happened. I remember my last few steps up the water and diving in and then, um, yeah, just sort of laying on my back, looking up, going, well, this didn't feel right. And, um, you know, just sort of stayed still. And friends came along and asked if I was all right and we went from there. Yeah. Did, did wow. you have pain? No, no pain either. I, I haven't had any pain from the injury to now. Even, yeah, right. Even like sort of, they say you get, uh, the nerve pain, phantom pain, all the stuff. Very lucky that I don't get any of that. Um, sometimes I feel like my legs are sort of in a weird position, but I wouldn't really call it pain. I might have a high tolerance compared to some people, but it's, you know, I might feel like my um, my heels like sitting on top of my ankle or the other foot, but they're not. Um, yeah. So that'd be it. But I mean, I just sort of just roll around, reset my brain coordinated where it all thinks it is, and it all goes away anyway. Let's talk about your rehab then. So you were at Hampstead and was, and Hampstead is the rehab hospital here in Adelaide. Yep. You're, how long were you in hospital for? Uh, so I was in Royal Adelaide for about two months. I think I got out on the 54th day-ish. Not that I was mm-hmm. counting. Uh, <laughs> and then Hampstead, I was there for about four and a half months. Yep. And you're learning to get your strength back and yeah, uh, wheelchair back. mobility and those type of things. Yeah. Strength back was the weird one. Obviously you got the segregation from being in a bed for two months. Um, yeah, that, that's real. That, that happened very sort of quickly. Um, I was struggling to lift some things and then, yeah, very quickly they get you back into the gym at Hampstead, try and get you some arm strength back. And then, um, so I started off in a electric chair, move mm-hmm. around so I could get sort of places. Um, and then I was sort of very keen to get into a push chair to um, I know, sort of get out of there as quickly as I could. I didn't feel like sitting around there. I sort of wanted to get out as fast as possible. So um, push for the manual chair and uh, yeah. And then they teach you how to transfer in and out of bed and out of the chair. Um, yeah. We've, we've spoken to a lot of uh, um, people now. We've had lots of interviews and uh, North Ride, is it Ellie in Sydney? Is that the one? where Royal it's Rehab. The re- Royal yeah. Rehab. Um, they talk about the driving clinic as part of the um, New South Wales hospital there. There's a driving clinic at Hampstead. Did that come up at uh, all? Like, is that where you did your driving? I No, that's not where I did mine. It sort of came up towards the tail end. I think if I was there longer... I probably would have maybe completed it there. Um, but I was sort of keen to get out of Hampstead altogether. Um, so in the last sort of month, I um, did some stuff and spoke to some of the people there about it, some of the OTs that were there. Um, but yeah, I just left and didn't return back to that facility for it. So, so was so you- um, were you a driver beforehand? Yes, I was. Yeah. So when you were, I guess, in that rehab phase, where were you thinking about driving? Like, what was your thought process around driving? Did you know it was a possibility? Like, uh, well, the, you know, it's the first thing that I got uh, a letter I received while I was in hospital about anything to do with my 
what had happened was a letter from the uh, Department of uh, Transport, or the driving people, people to give out your license, them saying your license has now been medically terminated. You know, you no longer have a license. So, oh man, that's as the first wow. thing as the first thing you hear from them, just uh, yeah, you don't have that anymore. It's like, oh, cool, thanks. Uh, but yeah, I, I was keen to get it back, especially. I don't think it dawned on me how much I wanted it back until I was back at home, though, and just you know, sitting around all day. Parents gone to work, girlfriend gone to work, and it's just, what do I do now? And I'm still sort of um, uh, uh, you know, not confident in my wheelchair skills to sort of go out on large adventures during the day, just pushing around by myself. So, um, you know, where I live is um, plenty. I live, I live near the beach, so that's sort of very accessible for me to be able to go down to but you know the confidence I didn't have to push all the way there um, it's probably just over a kilometer so to get to the front, the beach front there yeah the um there's a few sand dunes and undulations to get down to to beaches and stuff and uh if you're not confident you might get stuck down there and not yeah, get home and, and, and that's the thing getting stuck down there is the problem I would have um getting down there no worries a little downhill but getting back yep. up do you need to use this like special thing for your wheelchair or do they have um ramps or anything like all those uh, down there? Well, they it, so it's uh semaphore beach they used to have a wheelchair access um like matting all the way from one point all the way down to the beach uh at some point before my injury someone came along and took a big chunk out of the middle of it for some reason and they've never replaced it or back out again so yeah it's um, disappointing because that's i think the only beach in south australia that has one is that correct uh, you know i don't know if there's anyone may have been it's anyone i've seen that yeah. has ever that was ever there um beach access i ever wanted to actually get down to the sand these days a few of the surf life clubs have got um beach chairs that you can no, I've never, I've never really inquired much, but I know they have. I've seen them post on. It. I think you can just go down there and ask the life, the um, lifesavers if you can borrow it or maybe you pay for it. I'm not sure. Yeah, they're the ones with the big, uh, big round yeah, floaty that, wheels. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Get in water. Yeah, but you need yeah. someone to push you with those. I think, don't you? Yeah, yeah, no, there's yeah. no, there's no self-propelling on those ones. So yeah, yeah. So mate, so, you are stuck at home when your your girlfriend went off to to work and and so forth so driving became more of a need or a want for you at that stage talk us through the next steps what what did uh, you what did you have to do there because you weren't you, you couldn't go back to Hampstead to do your um, assessment uh, at that point once you've been discharged I think is the ruling there yeah so what, so once you once you're no longer a patient they're no longer covered with their sort of staff they're very they focus on everyone that they have they're not Anyone else that wants to come by, so mm -hmm. um, it's very much a sort of government-run for you know, public health, not anything else. So after that, yeah, just um, you know, started doing my own research, googling what I needed to do, and went from there. Rang a few people and went off and saw an OT. And and did you do that privately, or were you involved with NDIS at that point? How did how did it all come together from a uh, from a funding point of view? So funding point of view, when I did my NDIS plan, part of a lot of the stuff at Hampstead is they help you a lot with your first plan at Hampstead, mm -hmm. um, but not knowing the scope of what was sort of required for especially car modification or anything like that. Uh, I think they sort of had in a baseline for OT work for assessments for my pastor, um, mm -hmm. but not anything for the um, any modifications or anything like that. So it's purely just OT assessments for this was then put into my um, NDIS plan. So we might talk about that because that's important for people to understand. So you had um, OT money as part, this is really common by the way, people, um, you had yeah. OT money in your capacity building part of your NDIS plan, yeah. but no modification side of it all. So you, you went and saw the OT and they did um, what, you know, assessed for modifications to get you back to driving and so forth. We'll talk about that in a little bit of, in a little bit in regards to the process that you went through for that. But 
after they've done their assessment, what happened in regards to funding for modifications? Did you have to wait? Was it automatic? Did it come quickly? Did you, what, what happened next? Uh, so next it was um, put in for a plan review. I think it came back maybe as, we, we didn't really do much more until I had my license of, on the way of coming back. So we put in for a review um, and then we sort of started growing that. I think a lot of stuff was maybe conditional of, um, me actually having my license so that they weren't modifying a car for no reason. Yeah, uh, they want to make sure that you were uh, had that license first before they issued yeah. funds to be able to put the mods in. Yeah, yeah. Just, just so that they can assume that would need it. So will NDIS, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you know, or maybe Brad, you might know, um, having sort of that experience in the driving world. Um, so NDIS, will they fund you to get your license? Uh, I think they did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they covered all that. So, but they, they require they you to. So, just to confirm, they require you to get your license first before they will then um, put modifications. Um, so, so basically, I guess it's it, it's it, interesting. Uh, to be honest, actually, I'm learning this new. I didn't realize it worked in this process. So, effectively, you kind of have to get funding for the license process first. I think, Is I, that I right? I think the funding was all sort of there sort of ready to be given out but they weren't going to give it out until the license had got yeah so okay no worries so for the, the amount for the amount for opening for modifications I mean, NDIS knew all that they knew what we wanted how much yeah yeah that. okay it was just they sort of said make sure that you know they're actually going to be able to use this before we modify. one of the common things that I hear and I'm interested to see I guess if Brad um, resonates with this is a car and, and transport mods seem to be kind of like the forgotten end thing. Um, and then they often are missed in a lot of the initial plan reviews or in the initial plans because people are really busy in this chaotic state kind of thinking, I need to get my home set up. I need to get, you know, it, all of the kind of major everyday stuff. And then, as he said, then they go home and then they get used to all that stuff and then they start going, I need to go somewhere. And then, no, sorry, mate, you're not... Can't, can't talk to us for another 12 months maybe you know so the next plan here yeah and i've got i've got a big video on this on actually my um youtube channel where i really encourage ot's and i guess if you're an ot or even an end user make sure you sort of consider that and and it, it and my feedback i guess has been that it's kind of just forgotten you know because they're so busy with other stuff and then they go oh yeah we didn't even think about that you know um we just and so it's just reminder to think about it you know so you don't have to end up in that situation well it's probably it's a lot of um the very first plan of ndis is here's all the stuff you need to survive yeah and then, and then you know the next couple of months you go oh well, here's all the stuff you actually need extra to live like to you yeah. know, be happy with what you're sort of doing as well so and then your next plan maybe not be for 12 months so those those um asking for reviews part way along your your yearly plan that they, they can be really important um just to touch back on a couple of things that you spoke about ali um and alex it's not always the case you don't always have to get your license first it actually unfortunately sometimes comes down to the person reading the ndis applications um and and what provisos they put on it um we've installed modifications while people are going through the licensing process um, as well, it also comes down to how the OT writes about the ability for somebody to pass a, a practical test in the end. But more often than not, um, most people need to be able to prove that they've got the skills to be able to drive before NDIS will hit the go button on, on um, approving modifications, more often than not, which means but the person is then delayed. They've got their license and then um, they're waiting and waiting and waiting for that car to become available. Is that what happened to you, Alex? Uh, oh, not really. I got stuck with COVID. Um, so when we're doing sort of my driving uh, lessons and assessments, uh, it was sort of when COVID first sort of struck. So I was no longer allowed to do any driving lessons or assessments because uh, social distancing, I wasn't allowed in the car with any instructors. So uh, that got pushed back by a few months. And then, uh, I mean, that was my biggest delay. I, I, I think it sort of lined up. I sort of got my license. Uh, I think I, I, I got my license and then it wasn't very long after my car modification. 
done, or at least it had all been, um, it was ready because we had that large span of time of not being able to do much else anyway. So it was sort of made, planned for it beforehand. So they, they lined up okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe COVID was to your advantage and you could just blame something else because, yeah, quite often people have to, you know, wait for the funds to be actually be released and then wait for a time to actually get it into the modifier and so forth like that. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's go back and actually talk about the modifications that you've got in your car. So how do you actually drive? Uh, yeah, so I use a Harrow Speed um, Accelerator Brake Indicator module, which sits the left of my left knee. Um, I use a uh, tri-spinner on the steering wheel uh, and then just a sort of um, fold away slide table inside the door to get uh, myself into the car. And then an R11 robot arm in the boot to grab my wheelchair and take it all the way to the boot for me. There is a whole lot of technical stuff there to, we could uh, unpack, Ali. What do you reckon? Should we go through some of those in a little bit more detail? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, maybe what we, just for the listeners, what we could do is um, even put some links up to some of the websites mm. of those companies for those products because it, it's um, what you've got in your um, vehicle for uh, people out there, I guess. It's, it's effectively a new age self-drive it's, it's an alternate to a self-drive you know um it's kind of like an, an out-of-the-box self-drive so you've got to have a, a bunch of a bunch of different things to make it happen but um but you're effectively able to have a wheelchair and drive um, but not from wheelchair but it's, it's kind of like a, a pseudo version of that so um and we're able to get that kind of in your car so yeah let's talk about the products and um it'll it'll come come about as we talk about it let, let's start at the front. So the, uh, the Caro Speed, yep. the Caro Speed um, is a left-sided hand control. Uh, the, the good old days of just having hand controls on the right-hand side, that's, that's gone now. We've um, spoken about left-sided hand controls uh, a bit in this uh, podcast that um, it's better for working against the camber of the road. So it's a push-pull type of mechanism you push yeah. forward for braking and and yeah. pull to accelerate correct yeah and this one's mounted from the floor so it's not mounted from the steering column it's actually mounted from basically the base of your where your seat connects to the car and yeah. um and it's it's a lever action that way rather than a lever action from your steering column for our listeners so but then you said mentioned something interesting so how do you put your indicators on uh yeah so there's a switch there's a switching mechanism on that and a button there's a few buttons on there so the button on the left side you can um, lock your brake in so you push your forward on your brake you push the button on the side and locks your brake there you can let go so to give your arm a brake at traffic lights or wherever also um, for uh selecting your gears park to drive and those type of things yeah yeah so all that um but then yeah there's another switch on top and that's got my indicators uh and high beams on it which i can control with my thumb um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then there's also a button on there for the horn as well. But uh, yeah, indicators be the main one that you're hitting on that. And because your hands got, you've got some good thumb movements in that left hand, um, from what you were showing us earlier, uh, that works out all right. Yeah. Yeah. Works out. Yeah. Great for me. So. Um, awesome. Yeah. Not throwing no, not throwing my arm around trying to hit indicators somewhere else. Or the other option would have been the. Um, and did you try um, any other styles of hand controls? And this was kind of the most suitable, you thought? Yeah, this is the most suitable one. There was another um, uh, gear stick uh, was type setup that I tried using, um, but the car speed just sort of felt better. Um, I tried the head indicating uh, cushions for the back headrest. Um, but again, I had the thumb movement. I may as well have used that. So uh, yeah, no, I really liked the car speed the first time I used it. And stuck with it and your triceps so. must be fairly strong for that yeah your triceps and shoulder uh shoulder blades might must be fairly strong from your yeah. f from your injury yeah so uh, yeah part of I me mean, a lot of the c6s have a lot of you know, mm. arm problems as well where um yeah i was very lucky to um come away with you know sort of what i would think is full functioning but uh, yeah. i don't really compare myself much against the old self because 
uh, you know, it's hard to do. So for steering, you were saying that you're using a tri-spin. So for people listening, that's a, a spinner knob, but with three prongs on it and your yep. wrist and palm of your hand fits into that. So you don't have to uh, grip as much. Is that, is that why you're using it? Yeah. So my left hand, which I use on the carry speed, is has a much stronger grip than my right hand. Mm. Uh, I usually was right hand dominant, but I'm slowly swapping now. Um, so the tri spin, yeah, just sort of helps lock my hand in place so that it can't go anywhere and, you know, um, doesn't slip off halfway through a corner. Yeah, exactly. So, very yeah, right. it's locked in very well. Good. So, so that's how you're driving. And uh, how many lessons did it take you to, to be confident with it, do you reckon? Or are uh, you still, still learning? No, no, definitely not still learning. Uh, I mean, I used to drive a lot for my work beforehand. Uh, I used to drive uh, Ford Transit with trailers. I wasn't worried about road rules driving at all. I was a very confident driver. Um, so once there was a setup that I liked and that could work with, mm -hmm. I think I did four or five actual lessons. Two of them were um, figuring out what sort of setup I liked the best, and then we had just a couple more. And then we left for that. So, so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. So then you've got the how do you get in and out of the car? You've got you said a, a fold down platformy thing. So yeah. it's um it's, it's actually connected to the car. Yeah, and, yeah. So, and there's like a slide board? Yeah, just a slide board that um folds away. So if you open the my front car door, you generally won't see anything. Uh the board folds out from the back of the car. Oh, and folds down, so it hides away when you don't want it there. Um, and then, yeah, you jump on that, slide across, and then put it back when you're finished. So, so that's, that, that's a tip up plate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Plate. yeah. So, so you just 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 because my car does have a sort of a large gap between the um, chair and the edge of the car. Yeah. Very good. And then you've mentioned something called an R11 robot, so. That's what loads your wheelchair into the boot of the car. What kind of car have you got? It's a wagon, Ford Mondeo. Ford Mondeo wagon. Yep. And you've got this thing called an R11 robot. Some people might be uh, familiar with an Abbey loader, uh, yep. which is a similar type of product. But this one's an R11 robot, um, which is a boot loader, which loads your wheelchair around the side of the car from the driver's door all the way around to the boot is that that is yeah. correct yeah so um yeah you uh, the car already came with an automatic boot opening function but i don't think that'd be a problem with most cars you can always get that installed uh push the button click the switch and uh yeah the wheelchair just magically starts coming out of the car or starts going back into it so yeah they're um they're We'll put um, a link to some of these products. As we said, I really um, want people to look at the robot purely because I'm an engineering, I'm a mechanical engineer and an engineering nerd. And I think that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, um, and, and, and like, I've, I, yeah, I just, I encourage people to go watch videos on it. I've, I've seen it actually posted on some social media sites like um, like I think Lab Bible or some of these, these, these pages that sort of share things for likes and they shared a, a video of one of those from Europe and it had like millions of likes and everyone was just like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. And it's just, it just literally looks like this thing from the future. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's such a cool looking device. So I encourage people to look at it because every time we show it, um, yeah, and I guess I, I'm interested to know, have you had much... Um, approaches in public when you use it and people go what's that because uh, every time I've shown it people are just speechless uh yeah no I definitely get a few people that sort of stop and stare and you know, look at you in the car and go that's really cool it is great <laughs> um I've had uh someone else in a wheelchair come up to me and go what is that want one uh <laughs> so yeah you definitely do get you know plenty of looks of people coming over having a look having a chat to you about it uh yeah. So the little segue, I guess, uh, to share with everyone, um, we, I hear you're you're also using all of this stuff to be an Uber driver. Yeah, I was sort of when I first uh, when I first got home, I was thinking of stuff I could do. I was like, well, if I could drive, I could probably Uber drive, ride share. I don't need to get in and out of the car to do that. 
Um, so yeah, I've been doing Uber driving since uh, March. So what's that now? And and um, being uh, first of all, do you know if there it's there's that many disabled Uber drivers out there? Like, is there a community? Is there anything out there, or you're just kind of on your own sorting it out? Uh, not in Adelaide. I don't know if there's a community. I have heard someone on other part of my other passengers because you know they get in their car, they can see a lot of the modifications they get in, so they get the chatting and all that. Uh, someone else had a Uber driver in Queensland who was missing an arm. He was also using the um, Synodon stuff. Um, but you know, that's the only other, the only other one I've heard of so far. I'm sure there's plenty of this out there. Um, so does it give you? Oh, that's what I was next going to say. What's uh... Is it a good party trick for the Uber Uber um, passengers? Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Uh, I show the arm off to people who seem interested enough. Uh, engineers are very happy to look at that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. Especially if you're, I think also OTs because OTs kind of have an engineering mind anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're listening and you're technical, just look at the video and they're so cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. The reason why I got you on is because of uh, somebody got you as a, as their Uber driver, and they just went off about it. They they were so excited seeing you. Like they don't have a disability, they don't have an OT background, they don't have an engineering background. He actually works for a road safety, you know, um, work zone area, and uh, he was saying it was the best Uber trip he's ever had, just because you know. There was something to talk about. You were very yeah, generous I mean, with the way that you spoke about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you sort of have to be. I mean, if you are trying to hide the fact that it's there, it's not going to work. So, you know, if you if you're ever worried about talking about it, it's probably not the ideal job for you because people are, they just ask. And yeah, they I don't know if anything, I would, I would challenge is a good thing. Thank you, and it definitely is. So, um, you know, it's, it's but but if you ever do get uncomfortable talking about, it, and they, you know, I do some of the Fridays that I. Saturday night driving as well. You get the drunk people. They're much more open with their questions about disability. Whether it's their choice or not, they do ask some more questions. What's, um, what's the best question you've had? Come on. What's the best uh, question? What's I the mean, best conversation? I mean, of course, they always ask, can you still get it up in one? You know, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. You, you get that. Um, and yeah, it's all a good fun. You, you talk it out, whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, good good that's stuff really and cool. uh it's, um it's breaking down barriers as well the the more that people can see the, yeah, the better and, better off it's going to be and that's yeah. the whole reason why this podcast so one thing i also think it, it's really encouraging and i guess i um it's something that i really want to encourage disabled drivers to look into as a form of income is uber driving because um it's actually a pretty good job for, for a disabled driver. Like it's a very easily accessible job. You're not going to have as much judgment, I guess, judgment, um, you know, whilst you're going for the job, you know, you, it's a much easier job process to get. Um, Cause I have heard of other people doing it and, um, and over here. And I think, um, yeah, like you, you'd have less barriers as a disabled person getting that job. And it's a great job for someone who's well, a driver. Talk that, talk that, through Alex, what's what's required? So if people want to think about, oh, geez, I've got this modified car, I'm sitting at home doing nothing, maybe I could earn some money for myself, how would they become an Uber driver? Um, so you just need to get a <coughs> class C license, pretty much just a taxi license, whatever. Um, so once you've gotten that, that's pretty much it. Uber is very happy for your drive for it. As long as you can get this license, um, you do need to go get a medical and you are disabled, chances are not just your GP, you need to go see your specialist and get them to fill out your form. So um, I went and saw the um, rehab coordinators at uh, Hampstead. So they were my experts that I put down. Um, as soon as they pick all the box and are happy with it, it's yeah, good to go. And and getting that class C, is there any tricks involved in, in that? Uh, no, not really. Um, as long as you can you know, find what's wrong with you and as long as the person who's filling out that the, the medical professional filling out that form is happy with you being able to drive in that capacity, mm -hmm. won't have a problem. Yeah, um, that, it, it's all just ticking boxes, government stuff. So. Yeah, and we're yeah, yeah, with all the. I think it's just great as an option. Yeah, and there's lots of other uh, options other than Uber out there now as well. Yeah, with Ola and and those type of things. There's there's a whole bunch of uh, yeah. rideshare yeah. 
rideshare companies out there now. So why not? Do you do it basically as your primary, like full-time employment? Uh, when I started, no, but currently, yes, it is now my um, primary income. And how many, how many days a week are you doing it? Um, I treat it like a normal job. I'll go out at seven o'clock. You, you try and hit peak hour times, so obviously when it's busiest sort of thing. So I'll go and leave the house about seven, uh, come back home at around 11 o'clock once it's also died down and then go back out at two, come back at six. Um, but you know, you drone hours, you can go out whenever you want. If you don't want to drive during peak hour traffic, you can go out in between those times or through the weekend stuff where it's sort of quieter, but it is busier anyway. So yeah, yeah. That's well, really cool. Oh, it's awesome. And uh Alex, we thank you very much for sharing your story um and encourage maybe encouraging others to think about how they can use their modified driving license and controls and so forth to to potentially um get out and use their their car and their license for for income it's that's great and um we really thank you for for sharing it can't can't let you get away without our final question though so our final question is what's what's something that you've used your car for other than just getting from a to b now it might be uber driving but is there something more interesting is there a, is there a unique uber story is there a unique something that's happened while using your car that you'd like to share with us because we know that it is more than just getting from here to there um no i think the uber driving would be probably one of the greater things i've done with it um there's not really i haven't really had many there's not been one sort of standout experience with uber it is you know, i used to be a tradie so i like just getting in cars and chatting with people so I was used to that on-site banter and talking to people, so it's good that I've got that back. So I really enjoy that. Um, have, you, have you had any uh, Friday night, um, you know, vomiters on you? I've had, had one. Yeah. <laughs> I've had one. There was a window next to her. I'm still very upset with her. She got a, <laughs> she got a very bad review from me. Oh, dear. Um, but I was kind to her. I said, look, I can either charge you the cleaning fee or if you do a decent job cleaning it, I won't charge you because you know, obviously I couldn't clean it, so or couldn't clean it easily. No. Um, so, so, so what did she choose? She she cleaned it. We, yeah, she cleaned, she cleaned it. it. Lucky it was only uh, it seemed just to be cruiser water at that point. If it was a big chunky thing, I would have said nah, no. <laughs> but uh, no, she. I just, yeah, she did an okay job cleaning it, so it was fine. <laughs> Okay, we've That's been a wonderful story to finish on. Yeah, oh, we've yeah. been building up Uber driving, and now all of a sudden, uh, people might be questioning. Floor mats are the key. Get some good yeah. floor mats. Big rubber ones that are easy to hose down. Right. <laughs> all right, Alex, thank you so much. Uh, listeners, um, hang around because Ellie and I are going to break down our top three takeaways from this story. But, Alex, Thank you very, very much for coming on. Um, absolute pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I wish we could pick who our Uber drivers were because I'd love to be able to order you to take me to the airport all the time. It's, um, it'd, be, it'd be great to catch up with you out and about on the road. Um, but no, thanks very much for sharing your story. No worries. Thank you for having me. All right, thanks mate. Thanks so much. See you next time. See ya. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are now going to break down our top three takeaways. First of all, we want to say a massive thank you to Alex. If you want to get in contact with Alex and ask him a few more questions, uh, we'll put a link to him in the show notes. Uh, so make sure you go and check us out at our Facebook page, the Drive Able Podcast. Just search Drive Able Podcast and it'll take you to our page where you can find all the info that you need to um and we might even put up a, a photo or two of alex um in his in his car there um ali let's talk about the top three takeaways what's yeah. your number one takeaway from the interview today so the number one um was well not in any order but including the car mods in your plan as i said this seems to be something which does come up a fair bit car mods I guess being in the industry and being involved as a converter or, or even an engineer in that, it is a bit of a point of frustration for me often because I'll be dealing with someone and we're helping them out and they're sort of going, yeah, this all looks good. And then 
it, it, they basically hit roadblocks because no one's, yeah. they haven't even thought about it. And, and then they kind of have made the assumption that's just part of their plan and driving is part of normal life. But it seems to be that kind of forgotten afterthought. And, and, and it makes me frustrated because it makes me think like I'm a forgotten afterthought, you know? So, uh, so yeah. It sounds like Alex was fortunate with his timing, but it happens so much for us. So um, the OT assessment side of it all, that's that's there and part of the capacity building part of your NDIS plan. So then as an OT, we put in an application for modifications and that may not get reviewed until their next planning review meeting. Now that could, so you might have your first planning review meeting, you might be super excited about driving, you book in your assessment with your OT right at the start of your plan. You may then need to wait 11 months until it gets reviewed. Um, unless you put in a special review uh, application. So, you know, it, there's, there's delays in regards to that. It sounds to me as if Alex actually had his OT assessment near the end of his plan and uh, he didn't have to do too much waiting to be able to, to um, get the modifications actually in his car, whether it was COVID or, or whatever else that got in the way as well. But um, it, it's a big thing. It's a really, really big thing. You can be delayed by funding review meetings um, if those mods aren't included in your original original plan. And it's it's very hard to get them included in your original plan because um, quite often you need to have that OT assessment to be able to to know what you need. So it's it is a it's a difficult it's a difficult thing um, to do. Sometimes having a chat alley to a modifier. And getting a, a rough quote of what you might need from a modifier's point of view, uh, even if you're not trialing too much, but just, you know, I think this is what I need and get those as a proviso in your plan. So they might approved in principle type of scenario. And then you need the OT report to actually get those released. That's That works for some clients. It doesn't work for everybody, but it certainly works for some people. And it's a good little trick to be able to, to help you way through this process to get things moving a little bit quicker. What what um, Alex said was something I thought was really really uh, that what he said really hit home with, for me, and that's I guess what I want to highlight for people. He said in the first couple of months, all you're thinking about is survival, and so everything that's going into your plan and everything is, is survival. And yep. then he goes, but then after a few months, once you survive. And you're going, well, wait a minute, how am I going to live? And so, so, and, and it's very, I guess, particularly for people that have been through accidents and things like that, it's very natural to be in that survival kind of, you know, fight or flight mode during those early days. Yep. Um, but I guess this is what we want to flag that, hey, the driving thing is going to come up a few months later when they're sitting home alone and they've survived and going, and what am I doing part, here? You partners know? go off to work and they're isolated. Yeah, yeah. so, it so a big goal. we need to think beyond that and try and, calibrate our minds in those times to go, well, let's need to think driving, you know, how is everyone living and so on. So Yeah. Yeah. So big, big point. Number one, think about mods early. Think about what your needs might be early and, um, and get, see if you can get it written into your uh, early plans. Um, unfortunately, most people that would listen to this would listen to this maybe when they're isolated at home and it might be too late, but for the OTs listening to this, um, or the people helping with um, making plans early on, maybe when they're in hospital. It's not all about just getting them out of the hospital and getting them home. It's about what they can actually do when they're at home as well, when they may include um, driving. Yeah. All right. So kind of leads us into uh, takeaway number two, which is license before mods. Uh, yeah. which, he, which he hit upon that NDIS uh, wouldn't release the modifications funding until he could actually prove that he's passed his license test. So that's another thing that is a little bit, from my point of view, working with the NDIS with applications and so forth and, and um, waiting for approvals for funds to, to come through, that one's a little bit hit and miss. Um, and like I said in the actual podcast with Alex, it sometimes can come down to the actual delegate that is actually approving modifications or not. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be as dry cut that you have to have your license first. But Ali, you were saying that um, maybe it's a little bit different in New South Wales? Well, generally speaking, so I guess what I wanted to differentiate was the funding versus the 
road rule license regulations. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess we've mentioned that here. So what, what we're talking about with respect to this story with Alex is that NDIS just won't, like you can go and say, hey, I'm getting this car modified and, and I need the funding for it. They'll just say no until you've got a license or they may not, you know, but the, but the people that will say no is your local road authority. They won't let you drive a modified car or, or well, basically they, their advice is don't even get your car modified until you get that license. But they won't let you drive or assess or anything in a, um, I know it's definitely the fact in New South Wales and in most states as well, that you need to get that license first before you kind of get that modification. And then when you call them, that's kind of how they advise you as well. Mm. Get those assessments, get the license, then you get the model. For you, for you and me without a disability, it's like saying, don't go buy a car and have it sitting in your garage waiting. Go get your license first and then go get your car after that. So you can, you can go out and purchase it. You can go and get it modified beforehand. You just can't drive it until that license comes through. But yeah, they, they don't, the Department of Transport are trying to be risk adverse, I, I guess, when they, when they say that RMS or whoever it might be. The other thing also, which um, I guess the last thing around that is things you, you do, like, I guess it's kind of also against our philosophy of you need to be trying everything out and get the right thing for you. So if you go get modifications without having a really good amount of driving experience, I'm going to challenge that you may not have the right modifications because as even Alex said, it took him three or four tries and, and lessons and driving, you know, to, to actually get the right one, you know. So you might get one and go, yeah, this will work. I'll just get it modified. Let's, let's go for the funding. But it may not be the best one, you know. So that's also part of it. It happens every time, as as listeners might know, I'm a driving instructor as well. So I actually get in the car and and teach people how to use controls. The amount of times that we go, yes, in the first assessment, this is perfect. And then we drive with it for half an hour and we get an ache or we get a pain or we get a, uh, a disturbance or it's not quite what we thought it was going to be. Um, I've been doing this for years. I, you know, we try and pick the best controller right from the start based on experience. And, and but there, there can be little things that pop up which don't come up in your in your original assessments, um, whether it's when you go for a drive through the hills and you're twisting and turning, which you don't do through your original assessment or whether it's um, doing reverse parallel parking and all of a sudden you have to do reversing and reversing into a tight area. All of those things can change how you use the control and it could aggravate something that doesn't come up in your original OT uh, driver assessment. So keep that in mind. It is a good thing to, to fully test and go through the process and, and stay in contact with the driving instructors and the drivers uh, for the OTs to make sure that it is still the right fit once they've got right up until when they get their license as well. Yeah. 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 And that takes us to takeaway number three, which is that Uber driving. It's yeah. How, how cool is that, that he can actually utilize uh, those modifications? He said in the, in the interview, I've got this car. I might as well use it. What's something that I can do with the car? And he's, and he's become an Uber driver. And it's... Yeah, I, I think it's a great... Um, I, I really encourage um, disabled people that can drive, that are looking for employment, to look into this as an avenue. It's, first of all... As you could see from Alex's vibe, you get a lot of self-confidence. You know, people are giving you compliments all the time. You're having fun experiences. You know, you, you're experiencing much more of community than you would from your home. Yep. Um, once again, it's not something, the thing that I love about it is you are in the driver's seat as such. Literally, yep. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the employment process, you know, he was in charge of the application forms. He went online. He just did it all himself. You know, you don't have to deal with all these social barriers and psychological barriers that will come from going for everyday jobs. You know, like, yes, of course, there are lots of companies that try to be inclusive and, and try and have all these inclusive campaigns and all that kind of stuff. But let's face it, a lot of them are pretty patronizing and, and can be really difficult to go through. And But this it's awesome, you know, like you just go online, you fill out a form and you go get your car assessed. No one's even talking to you about disabilities and things like that. You know, you don't have to address it. You're just, just another driver. And I, that's what I really love about it. And, and I love the fact that it's employment, you know, um, and that's what people can get. Yeah, and the other thing is, is, is that it's breaking down barriers. The more people can see that 
you can be an Uber driver or whatever it is, the more it's going to become socially acceptable that, um, and that's another reason why we're doing this podcast, isn't it? Just to, to spread the word of, of, of driving with disabilities, to break down those barriers and, and spread the word that there's, there's so much opportunity out there if you get the right mods and the, and the, the right assessment process to, to get you there. Yeah, exactly. Um, what we'll do for listeners is um, we'll try and find the uh, links to the Uber drivers app. We spoke to Alex off air before, uh, as we were saying goodbye. And he said, the best thing you can do is download the Uber driver app, which is different to the Uber app for being a passenger. Just go to that. And, and he said he just followed the dot points, the one, two, three, four, and followed them one by one of what you actually had to do to become a driver an uber driver and um and he said it was really easy to follow and um so yeah i I encourage people if you want to go and explore this and you've you've got your modified car sitting at home and and you're sitting at home and you want to get out and about a bit more you know what the person that's going around in my head is is john davy that we interviewed and he's you know him picking you up in his in his mercedes and uh, oh man, you'd have a great time. <laughs> uh, he would have a great time. That's that's the one I'm thinking of when I'm I'm thinking yeah. about who could who could who else could do this. Uh, he he would love it. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, so that's it, everybody. Uh, that that winds up this episode. Thanks very much for tuning in and joining us on this one. Uh, it was a great story with Alex, and um, we hope that you got something something out of it. Yeah, and as we say in every episode. If you have any queries about what you can do and what will work for you, get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial. Trials really do put you in the driver's seat. Or the Uber driver's seat. The Uber driver's seat. Yeah, thanks very much, everyone. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able podcast with Brad Williams and Aliak Barrier. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information. 